today on the Self-Evident Podcast, we've got lab meat, FDA approved, yay! And keeping men out of women's sports is racist. All this and more on the Self-Evident Podcast. Welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. You got Mike. There is no Massey for today. He's out doing some family stuff, and maybe you don't remember, but we do record two at once, so that way we can take care of stuff that we need to take care of. We get it ready for you, and we post it up. And I've got half of the anonymous duo producing for me, killing it. I don't know. I don't know that I need other producers anymore. I mean, you just champion. You, you want to be my my producer? <laughs> Anyways, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. I realized when I did that intro, I didn't even talk about the main topic. I was like, and today, though, we're going to be talking about a warrior mindset. So remember, Mondays, it's our, our scriptural day. It's our day of where we're talking about theology. We're talking about ways to live spiritually, that kind of thing. And we're going to talk about a warrior mindset. Because I think that's been, I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I don't think it's in the conversation enough when we talk about how do we live out our Christianity. So we're going to cover that, but first, go to theselfevidenttruth.com, get yourself a shirt, get yourself a book, become forged. It will give you a toolbox to raise your sons. Whether what what I think people miss on this book. I wrote it with mothers in mind. I actually, I, a couple of years ago, and ma'am, if you're out there listening, I apologize it took so long to get this out. Because a couple of years ago, she's like, you should, you should write a book or something. I would buy it. And I'm like, I, I want to do that. I want to write. And then it took forever. But it, it's kind of dedicated to her in an unofficial way of, there are plenty of mothers, whether they have husbands or they're a single mom, who want to know more about what does it mean to raise a boy into a Christian man. What does it mean to raise a boy that is fully developed and ready and fully actualized and ready to take on the world? This book is for that. This book is also for the guy who maybe you're in your late 20s, your early 30s, maybe you're in your 40s, and you're like, I need to make a transformation. I don't know where to begin. And I remember seeing a video a while ago, one of those um, influencers to influence, especially young men. And that's really his target market. And somebody had sent in a question. I'm 45, waste of space, no friends, no job, blah, 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 whatever. And the guy was basically like, you're screwed. I, I can't help you. You're screwed. And let that be a lesson to everybody else. And it bugs me. It, it really bugs me. If you're reaching out and saying, I need help, it means you've recognized the problem. Now, can you become fully self-actualized, multimillionaire, 
life totally on straight, very low probability, but I'm not saying there's not a chance. And this is more than the, you know, uh, dumb and dumber, you know, what are your chances? One in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. It's more than that because you're reaching out and you're asking, you're like, my life is a mess. I don't know how to fix it. That's what this book was intended to do was help you get on that pathway. Is the book the end all? No. Is the workbook the end all? No. Is a couple months of mentorship and guidance? No. But get started and start making those steps. And you might be surprised where you end up. Colonel Sanders didn't, you know, take off with Kentucky Fried Chicken until he was 62. So if you're 45, you know what? 17 years. That's plenty of time to do what you need to do. Game on. Here we go. So check out the book. Check out T-shirts. Our blog, Andrew, is killing it. So you, we do see blogs from other people. Paul, he kills it when he writes blogs. Me, I absolutely slay it when I write blogs. Master. But no, Andrew is killing it, turning out apologetics on stuff that maybe you've heard about. You're like, oh, well, you know, I heard this, and so that's not true. And Andrew goes in, and he goes in depth about all the resources and the reasons why Christianity can be believed, why it is a force for good, why Christianity was beneficial for Western civilization and the world. So check out the blog. Leave a comment, leave a review. I think I got all of it out of the way. Oh, no, I didn't. Newsletter. End of the year newsletter. We have an ask. We're, we're doing a found, funded or a fundraising drive for our budget for 2024. Now is your chance to get on the train. We're asking $50,000 to support the mission of self-evident in 2024. It's doable. It's easily doable. And when you think about it, there are people out there who would not bat an eyelash at writing a check for $50,000. But maybe you can't do that. We're asking you to prayerfully consider what is God putting on your heart to do. And if you are feeling that on your heart, go to the truth.com, click the donate button. It's right at the top. But make that step. I think a lot of times what happens is, oh, I should do that. And then we forget. I want you to pause this. If you're driving, pull over, get your phone out, go to the donate tab. If you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, whatever, and you have it in your heart of like, yeah, I should, I should probably help them out. I should probably donate and put seed into this mission. Go to the website, theselfevidenttruth.com, click the donate button. Take care of it. Get it done with. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's a tax write-off. It is. If you've got a business, you want to sponsor the podcast, reach out. Or if you just want to do a one-time donation, by all means, it's a tax write-off for your business. But we're asking for your support, your partnership with us to go into 2024 guns blazing to get this job done. Because God is good. And we know he's going to provide. And that's the thing is like, I want you to be faithful to what he's putting on your heart. I know he's going to provide for us one way or another. But maybe this is a vehicle for you to have faith and obedience in your heart. And he's placed it on your heart. And he's saying, hey, I want you to do this. Now's your chance. And I, I more so applaud the act of faith and obedience than I do 
the money being provided because I care more about your faith walk than I do about just the fact that, oh, we got another check to help us move forward. Check out the end of the year newsletter. Go to the website. You can get it there if you need it. If you want us to send it to you, PDF online format, we can send a physical copy. Tells you what we did this year, our goals for next year, and our budget ask. Are we ready? We're ready. Game on. Number one, lab meat now FDA approved. Because that really matters. Because the FDA is here for your good. Did you know Italy is the first country to ban cultivated meat? More power to them. This five-step process, so you hear a lot about lab-grown meat. This is a process. They take stem cells from an animal, replicates it, and grows them in bioreactors before blending them with additives to create a more realistic texture. That's disgusting to me. Like, you remember McDonald's, you know, the pink slime and all that, and they had to color it to make it look like meat? That's what I picture in my head. Yeah, ew. The meat cells are drained in a centrifuge, formed, and packed. Spin around, drain it out, and throw it out. Now, laws have been passed in certain states prohibiting this crap being labeled as meat, but we're well on our way to our beautiful dystopian future where you will be eating lab-grown meat and insects, and you'll be sleeping in pods, and you'll be happy because you own nothing. So far, the, only the U.S. and Singapore have approved stem cell slop for production. And that's what I want to call it from now on. When we're going to call, talk about lab-grown meat, it's stem cell slop. Sound good? Hashtag that. Hashtag stem cell slop. Send that to Bill Gates. Number two, Arizona sheriff claims what we already knew. Sheriff Mark Lamb claims that immigrants who illegally cross are getting handed $5,000 in gift cards, cell phones, and plane tickets. I wonder if the government is calling little old ladies and saying, oh, well, you know, your bill is past due, so just go ahead and purchase these gift cards at Walgreens and read off the number to us. Uh, If you know, you know. The sheriff of... Penal County told the Epic Times that his sources at the U.S. border filled him in on the scheme. He said, I was absolutely in shock when these agents came forward. I had known we handed out free cell phones and plane tickets. So you already knew about that. But to give $5,000 visa gift cards to people who break our laws and come into our country illegally when the average American is struggling to pay their bills is just tough to swallow. I think all of it is in the facts. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he was defending the practice of cell phones and plane tickets. But, I mean, $5,000, to me, that's just icing on the cake. Like, the massive part of this is not only are we allowing people to cross our border, but we are facilitating the process for them. Instead of, here's your pair of handcuffs, and now you're going back, it is... Here's your cell phone. Here's your plane ticket. Oh, by the way, it's so that you can, you know, get yourself started. Here's $5,000 from you, the taxpayer. And I want to know what kind of phone are they handing them? Are they handing them the like $50 flip phone thing? No. 
I'm sure it's nice iPhones and Androids and all of that, right? They probably... Illegal immigrants are probably... They have better phones than mine. This this phone is... I bought it. It was like 300 bucks when I bought it. And I get made fun of for my phone. That's fine. I'm not the person to spend $1,200 on a cell phone. But these illegal immigrants probably are getting better phones than I am. And they're getting $5,000 in cash. And a plane ticket. I want a plane ticket. Right? All right, number three. McCarthy totally isn't going to leave early until he does. Because he told us, he was like, no, I'm not resigning early. I'm not leaving early. And then your favorite former House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, swore up and down. He wouldn't leave early. But in an opinion piece published by the Wall Street Journal, he wrote that he is going to leave the House at the end of the year to serve America in new ways, and that his work is only getting started. I bet that cushy lobbyist job or consultant job is looking mighty fine. Money, 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 money. That's where he's going. I'm going to serve America in new ways by putting millions of dollars in my pocket. Hashtag Gates won. Matt Gates won. And I love it. So Kevin McCarthy is going to be leaving office end of the year by... But the problem is he's not going home and taking care of orphan children in, in Guatemala or something. He will most likely be getting some cozy-up job to the American government where he will get paid handsomely for connections and influence and backroom deals and all of that. These guys don't go away especially somebody like McCarthy. He doesn't go away. He just transforms into somebody with a different style of influence, power, and publicity. Because now all of a sudden, he can do it behind the scenes without anybody watching. Everybody was watching. Is every, this is actually an upgrade for him. It's, it's a downgrade for you, but it's an upgrade for him because now he can influence behind the scenes without the cameras and he can do what he wants. We already watched the guy talk out of both sides of his face depending on who he was talking to and making promises up here and over there. And, and so McCarthy's gone. Um, verdict's still out on Johnson. I don't know how I feel about him. Seems to do well couple of moves, I was like, I don't agree with that. Now, I know I don't have the full story, and neither do you. So I, I'm still a little, but as of right now, I like him more than McCarthy. So we'll see. Number four, this is probably my favorite one before we get into the main topic. Keeping men out of women's sports is racist. Spin the wheel, find it. AOC she doesn't just think it's horrible to keep men out of women's sports, but that it is especially horrible for black women. I want to know how keeping men out of women's sports is somehow hurting black women. Well, you're going to find out because AOC, she, she did the work and the research. So in this hearing, 
AOC asks her mouthpiece, I mean, the person she's interviewing, Goss Graves, Miss Goss Graves, in addition to that, are there certain groups more likely to face discrimination under these bans and what you were speaking to particularly when it comes to black women and girls? And Goss Graves lines up, tees it up, wham! Graves took the cue and said, we have seen that there are examples of black women who are even professional athletes whose bodies have been more examined and demonized. Examined. That's their whole line. Their whole line is, well, how do we determine who's a man and who's a woman? We may have to physically inspect people. So, of course, racism. Gosgave says, even professional athletes whose bodies have been more examined and demonized. We've seen that with my fan favorite, Serena Williams, whose body is often talked about. Oh, so don't talk. That's sort of challenging them for who they are. If it is codified into law, it is something that we would expect to see more of. AOC goes on to say, this also deeply intersects with a secondary issue, which is racial bias in the medical field. Ah, it's the racial bias. When we have vast proportions of populations that have been studied and tested are not right racially or otherwise identity-based representatives of the broader U.S. population, and so what gets determined as a norm oftentimes gets pegged to largely white populations that have been studied. And then black women and girls are then further subject to marginalization, she said, finally linking the alleged transphobia with racism. Goss Graves agreed when asked. I love that something as simple as, hey, maybe men should compete in their own category and women should compete in their own category has turned into... It's systematically racist to keep men from competing with women. This is liberal world word salad at its finest. Progressive salad. Spin the wheel, figure out what, what accusation you need to lob, and then connect them all. Because identity, categories, intersect, which is a word they love, at all spots. So what it actually becomes is a creative process of how many intersections can I find and how many links can I draw. So now it's not just, well, it's transphobic for you to keep men out of women's sports. It's racist against black women specifically. Man, that's a jump. And the whole reason is because, follow the logic, women's bodies are inspected and demonized and examined more often, which the introduction of trans men will increase to determine who's who. And that will hurt marginalized people, especially black women, because they'll get demonized and inspected. What about the black men who are transgender? I think they actually top the hierarchy of oppression so really, you're oppressing black, marginalized, transgender men, women. And you're not talking about them. You're just talking about the black women. 
That's racist. That's a problem. You are leaving behind the marginalized AOC. We need to find you a fence to cry in front of. Because this is massive. I want a photo op. Get me all white. Get me a fence by a parking lot. I need to cry about this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, back in the whole kids in cages thing, you know, that the Obama administration had actually put forth and the picture that went around the world was actually from the Obama administration. AOC had a photo op where she was wearing all white and she was crying in front of a fence that actually was a parking lot. It was no kid's cage fence. These people. Anyways. But AOC continues to rail against the marginalized because all she sees is power. But if you want the power, it's Energy Ops LLC. I want a collage of all of these. When, when, when Energy Ops goes their way, which I pray they never do, but when they go their way, I plan on sending them a collage of all of the different ways we intro their company. Energy Ops LLC, energyops.us, go to the website. If you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area, by all means, check them out. Their phone number is 843-263-1724. 843-263-1724. They say, we specialize in providing intelligent electrical solutions that revolutionize the way you power your home or business. With our cutting-edge technologies and forward-thinking approach, we bring a new level of efficiency, reliability, and sustainability to every project. If you're doing a renovation... You're doing residential. You're doing commercial. You're hooking up your EV car that is going to be mandated, manufactured by the Biden administration and the EPA in 2032. You're going to need a hookup because all you'll be able to buy is basically an EV. So get a hookup. Energy Ops LLC will hook you up. Ooh, that's a good tagline. We'll hook you up to the grid. So check them out. God-fearing people, faith-filled, small business-minded, family-owned, veteran-owned, want to bless you with high-quality, efficient work. They do it out of love. And I have had conversations with Michael Leoner about how he wanted to love people with the love of Jesus while he was doing their work. This is a company that you need to support. And if you're in the Treasure Coast area, we are having him come down. Massey and I have to figure out a timeline for that. I'm going to have him do work on my house. Massey's got stuff for his house. We're going to have him do work on the, on the office. If you have electrical work that you're thinking about getting done in the Treasure Coast, call us. Email us. Let us know. We'll set up a tour for him so it's worth his time. Energy Ops, LLC. All right. Sometimes this is a slog, especially recording two in a row. But when I did the the 12-hour fast live stream, I realized how much capacity I have that I can use to do these. And it's kind of fun to push of like, okay, it's not just a 45-minute back and forth. This is you're on, no one else, 
make it interesting for 45 minutes to an hour, and then do it again. Now, I don't know how well I succeed with interesting, but I give you information. I don't stop talking, and I think most of it's new. I don't repeat myself too much. So, quit your complaining. Just enjoy. Oh, voices. All right. Today, I want to talk about this idea of the warrior spirit. And I've got a bunch of verses, and I'm not going to rail through them. Uh, I may pick from them at one point or another. But I want to talk about this concept because I think there is an attitude in the Christian community of sit back or passive reception of what's going on. And what I mean by that is a lot of times what you'll get are conversations of fear. One world order, Illuminati, one world currency, Nephilim, whatever. And I'm not mocking these people. I'm not mocking these ideas. I'm not mocking the idea that the Euphrates has dried up and, you know, all of that. What I'm saying is, what are we doing with the time we've been given? And we've had that conversation before, but I think the mindset that you have is important. Because if I just say, you got to be aggressive or you got to go out, kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I think there is a mindset that we can have internally, down to our core, of how we approach our faith that could be the difference between getting run over spiritually and overcoming. And we are called to become over, to be overcomers. Absolutely called. And I think there are a couple of things. So we're called to be more than conquerors. Conquerors don't just fight. They win. Genghis Khan didn't lose a whole lot. Alexander the Great didn't lose a whole lot. They were conquerors. And we're called scripturally to be conquerors. And that means that, sorry, I was looking for the verse and I, I don't know where I put it. I apologize. But what that means is we're not just here to win some, lose some. We're here to win. And we do because we have Jesus. But there are things that keep us from being a conqueror. And, and I've labeled it three things, and I think if I spent a lot more time on this, I, I could be more nuanced in my approach, but hear me out and work with this. I think embarrassment, fear, and laziness keep us from being conquerors. And I want you to, to really reflect. Do you actively engage with your life? Or do you passively receive it? Is your faith an excuse to sit back, or have you entered the spiritual battle and begun to do what you've been called to do? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I think oftentimes we don't battle because there's some mix of embarrassment, fear, and laziness that gets involved. Here's an example. I realized a while ago, why am I not praying over my children? Now, it's not that I don't pray with Isaac, especially at night before he goes to bed. 
But I was convicted because there was this concept of he sees me on stage when I preach or he sees me pray with other people and he hears the life and the fervency. When I'm tired and it's been a long day and I'm trying to get him to bed so that I can get 10 minutes of relaxation before I go to bed, is my prayer as fervent and full of life with him as it is of what he sees when I'm with other people? And to my shame, I recognize, man, I'm far off. So I started investing in how, how genuine, deep, and passionate are my prayers going to be, which is an example for my son. But I took it a step further. I said, if I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that prayer is, is useful in doing spiritual warfare, why am I not covering my family every single day before I walk out the door? And I realized that's, that's junk. That's crap. So what I started doing is actually praying with each son before I walk out that door. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, give me what prayer I need today. I can do better at that. I can be more intentional with that. But that's always my goal is like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to pray for them? And Melissa and I have noted the shift we've seen in our household, especially in, in our oldest. And there's something to that because I think too often with our faith, we get passive and we just receive what's happening. There is a spiritual war going on. Satan wants to crush you, especially if you carry the light. Demonic forces do not want you to be powerful. And you are actually playing into the hands of the enemy when you are more passive, when you, when you allow fear, embarrassment, and laziness to take over in your spiritual warfare. A warrior's mindset, and I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about this, I'm, I'm in the midst of a massive trans, transition. And I'm really debating, do I go with the name Michelle or do I go with Tanya? I'm kidding. Michelle? Okay. It, joke. I, and I love it because I was so serious and I threw it so serious and there's probably people still going, wait, wait, what is he talking about? No. It's, it's a, a ministry transition that I'm going through right now. And it's an up thing. Um, there's a portion of it that's a different direction, but still with self-evident, all of that, forged is a big part of that, right? But I'm, I'm going through this transitional phase. I was talking with a friend the other day and one of the things I realized recently is I fear, notice the word I use, fear, the spiritual warfare that comes when you step into new ministry. I've done it before. I've been through it. I know people who have been through it worse than I have. And I feared it. And so I came to this realization while I was sitting with this friend and we were having this discussion. It's like, a warrior mindset runs towards the fight. It was like, why am I being passive about this? Why am I being fearful of this? No, all the more I should run towards the transition, recognizing the bullets and the arrows that will be flying at me, and lean in close to the Lord and use the tools that he's given me for the fight. And it's a whole different mindset 
when you can do that. And I saw this video the other day. So a couple of years ago, the, a hotel in Kenya was taken over by terrorists. They took the hotels hostage. And there was a, an SAS soldier. So it's like high-level British special forces. An SAS so- soldier was in the area. He was close by the hotel when this kicked off. So like an absolute action star goes back, gets his gear, and single-handedly eliminates the threat, frees the hotel, saves dozens of people, kills dozens of terrorists. This guy, by himself, nonchalantly, goes, gets his gear, comes back, pop, 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 done. Storms a hotel. And it's breathtaking in the warrior mindset of this man was so well-trained, he was so reliable with the skills that he had been given that he could walk into a hotel of terrorists and walk out unscathed, saving a bunch of people. He didn't wait for the big massive tanks and the whole army to come in and the standoff and the hostage negotiations and all that. He didn't wait for even his team of guys to come around him and they go through all kinds of different exits and they have this whole strategy. He goes... Oh, there's a problem? Okay, I'll solve it. And he ran towards the fight. And I think we need to get a little bit of that grit, a little bit of that that energy as Christians, men or women, and have that fight instilled in us of, oh, there's this issue going on in my family? I'm praying against it. I'm interceding. If I need to fast, I'll go fast. We take things that happen to us or our family and we go, oh, that's so horrible. Why, Lord? Why? Why? And we just, we hope it runs its course and we make it okay. We made it out all right. God is good. Absolutely. But maybe God was saying, would you start praying into this? Would you start interceding for your family? Would you start realizing that you can fight back demonic forces spiritually? Maybe it's time to start understanding the power and authority you've been given by the Lord and start walking in that. And it takes a warrior mindset to do that. It really does. And it takes a shift of looking at the problems and the issues spiritually in your life and understanding what you actually need to do with them. And 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 7 says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So you notice, it's actually three different levels. The soldier's mindset is, I'm not getting mixed up in all the dumb stuff. I am here to serve the one that I'm under. You are serving the King of Kings. You're serving the Lord of Lords. Is he your friend? Yes. Is he your brother? Yes. Right? He's the Son of God. You are children of God, therefore he's your brother, but he's also your Lord and Savior. He is your king. 
and you as a soldier of the kingdom of God may be given assignments that are spiritual warfare. That's why we're given the armor of God. That's why Paul talks about the armor of God. A soldier needs armor, but he also has his weapon, which is the sword. And the sword is the word. What is the word produced by? The tongue. What does the tongue need to do in order to wield the sword? It needs to speak. So instead of sitting around going, okay, Lord, I hope you do this, maybe you need to actually start wielding your sword and speaking, praying, interceding. Maybe you need to prepare yourself by fasting and praying. But this goes three levels, right? So the soldier doesn't get involved in the the crap of the world. If you are more concerned about the one world currency than you are about what Christ is doing, you're off. Now, you could pray into that, sure. But is that your assignment from the Lord or are you talking in fear? Where you focus is where your heart is at. So if you're always focused on what the shadowy elite are doing and what the government is doing, I guarantee you're working out of fear. We already know it's Satan's system. Satan himself offered all the kingdoms to Christ. Christ rejected it. But the fact that Christ didn't say, that's not yours to give, shows that Satan had authority and power over the world's systems. And he offered all of it to Christ. And Christ said, no, I'm not going to worship you. I'm worshiping God the Father. And guess what? God the Father ends up giving it to him at the end of days. So we know, I get it, the shadowy satanic stuff going on. But is that your focus? Is that where your heart is at? Is your heart at, oh, cancer and and suffering children and genocide and all of that? I'm not saying we don't talk about these things. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying we don't understand these things. But where is your prayer? Are you receiving all of this stuff passively and going, it's just the world, it's going to hell in a handbasket? Yes, it is. So start praying against it. Your salt, your light. Light beats back the darkness. Salt prevents decay. I'm going to go back to some of my verses. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We think that's so I'll give to the poor. Good is praying and interceding, spiritual warfare. It's worshiping before you go out to take territory. It's influencing for the kingdom. That's good. It's ruling justly. A people mourn under an unjust ruler. They rejoice with a just ruler. Why can't you be the just ruler? Why can't you be the just ruler? servant or representative in America. We've, we've drawn this idea that God is not concerned at all with what's going on around us. We've separated the spiritual at the expense of the physical. It's just like our bodies. I think sometimes we as Christians get off and we decide that spiritual truths should eliminate physical truths. I am going to step on toes. You ready? 
Why do we have an immune system? To prevent sickness. I'm not saying God doesn't heal. I'm not saying that God doesn't move with healing. God doesn't glorify with healing. What I'm asking is, why the creation of the immune system? If God was going to wipe it away with supernatural healing all the time, is supernatural healing a complement to the immune system? Yes. But God put forth natural law and it was good. It wasn't evil. Natural law, nature, has a very complex immune system that helps protect you from illness and disease. But I think sometimes we take things like this and we say, oh no, the biological doesn't count, it's only the spiritual. We look at it with, with emotional issues. Your brain... Your personality has defense mechanisms it will put in place after massive trauma. And we decide that all of that is evil. We can't even talk about that. It's super, supernatural healing or nothing. It's either saved, fully transformed, or doesn't count. When in the reality is, God has placed physical things in the environment that are supposed to work accordingly. The problem is sin infests, and then it starts to pervert and twist. But the original, you don't do away with the original because there's an error. There's an issue. God is not the one to just completely wipe away, right? Now, new heaven, new earth? Yes. But he didn't say, okay, now that I put Jesus here, None of the laws of physics or the laws of nature exist anymore. And if you're not operating outside of those laws, you're doing something wrong. Where are you going, Mike? God institute governments. Governments are established on the shoulders of Christ. Governments were established by God, by the authority of God. Why would he tell us as Christians, but don't get involved? Don't be a part of it. I don't want my influence there. We're supposed to get involved. So take this soldier thing properly. He's not saying separate yourselves out completely from the world because then, then where do you go? You float off into space. You have to be a part of the world, but you represent Christ in everything you do. Don't get bogged down by the stuff that isn't job of the soldier. If the soldier... The, let's say the Roman soldier walking through Jerusalem, he's more concerned about the dyes of the clothing than he is about protecting the people and protecting the empire. He's off in worldly affairs. But then it goes a second level, and he talks about the athlete. And the athlete is the one who trains, who prepares himself, who disciplines himself. Why? Because there's a contest to be had. War is a contest. It's a competition. And spiritual warfare is a competition between light and dark, between God and Satan, good and evil. And the reason that that storyline is so uh, uh, prolific in everything we take in and we, we 
gravitate towards the good and evil story is because it's a spiritual truth. And so a soldier is training himself to win the competition of battle. In the physical realm, men go to battle, one lives, one dies. It's a competition where life is the stake. This is a spiritual battle where spiritual is the the battle. Spiritual is the stake, right? And then he goes, the farmer gets the first fruits, gets, gets the crop, the joy of the crop. So God gets the first fruits because he's really the farmer. He's really the nourisher, right? We just work for him. But we also get to enjoy the abundance. So when you put away the things of the world, the things that will distract you, and you actively run towards the battle, and you're disciplined in what you do, and you train yourself, you will enjoy the abundance. You'll enjoy the harvest. I'm not saying prosperity, you'll enjoy money, blah, blah, blah. You'll enjoy the spiritual abundance. You'll see the victories. You'll, you'll grow in faith. You'll get closer to the Lord. You'll have more of the Lord. And how does that look? I think what we need to focus on is courage, tenacity, and faith. Now, you'll say, faith, love, and hope. Yes, absolutely. But if we're going to build a warrior's mindset, you have to have courage. Do away with this embarrassment. You have to actually step out and understand things might get awkward. It might get awkward when I talk about Jesus to that guy in the store. I was with a friend yesterday, three of us. We went to the gas station. One of us, total evangelist. Right away, bow. Hey, do you know Jesus? Can I pray for you? Bow. You know Jesus? Can I pray for you? And the other friend and I are like doing our thing, and I love the courage. Now, for this friend, it's it's easy. It's not overcoming a bunch of awkwardness, embarrassment. I'm not that type of person. For him, it's natural, but he does it. He steps forward, and I recognize in myself that's an area of growth. Stop using the embarrassment and the awkward to not do what you're supposed to do. And we do that to ourselves. We go, well, I don't need to pray with my wife. I don't need to pray with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because that's just a little awkward. Like, how do I do that? I mean, I don't like speaking out loud my prayers, so I just stay in my head. Fear. We do it out of fear. We do it out of fear of embarrassment. Courage steps over the awkward. Courage steps over that fear. It steps over that that embarrassment. It steps over knowing it needs to do what it needs to do. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of fear. You will feel fear. It's okay. Everybody feels fear. The toughest, most rugged guys in the world still feel fear. But they understand that's just a feeling. That's not a duty. You do not have to acquiesce to your fear. You can step over your fear. You can go forward doing what you know you need to do. That's discipline. And courage is the discipline to overstep fear. And tenacity, tenacity is the energy with which you do it. If you do courage with tenacity, you run full force. You, you go straight in. Uh, I, haven't, I am going to step over that fear so much so that I don't even feel it. I'm just going towards the bullets. 
because that's where I've got to go. I've got the tenacity to get my goal. I'm going to go where the Lord sent me. I'm going to do what he's told me to do. And I'm not going to stop till God says, okay, you're good. We're good. And faith, faith is that assurance that God will get finished what he needs to. And you could be a part of that. You could be a vessel for it. And faith is God will do what he needs to do. I'm going to take care of my job. And I trust that the Lord will do what he has to do through me. And I may not even see the full result, and that's okay, because I am serving my king. My king may reign long after I'm gone. Now, the beauty of faith for the Christian is, you're not gone. You get upgrade. You get retired (laughs) in this worldly spiritual battle. At some point, God says, okay, your job is done. I'm retiring you from the battlefield. It's time to rest. Man, don't you want to step into that rest, coming home after a long lifetime of battle, and you can hang up your armor going, I did my job. Instead of a lifetime of avoiding the front lines. Well, if I, if I just stand back here by the reserves, I'll be okay, I'll make it. And then, then I can go, go rest. Like, you know, we, we talk about the Vikings, right? And and I know a lot of Christians like, oh, Viking mythology, and that's that's horrible paganism and all. Okay, yeah, you're you're not wrong. But the concept of the Viking was you walk into the halls of Valhalla as a hero if you were an honorable warrior and you ran into the face of battle and you did what you needed to do and, and you you fought valiantly. And it wasn't even a you better kill everybody else, but if you get killed, it was a, if you get killed, but you're valiant in your death, you get access to the halls of Valhalla. The beauty is Christ did that fight. He did that fight so that you can walk into the halls of heaven, into the gates of heaven. But would you not rather walk in rugged soldier of Christ, warrior of Christ, Your sword is sharp because of how often it has slayed the enemy. Your armor is gleaming because of all of the hits it has protected you from. And you can finally take off that breastplate, take off those shin guards, take off that belt, because now you're wearing the robe of Christ and you get to rest in his presence. And he can look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's my challenge to you. Ladies as well as men, do you have a warrior mindset with your faith? And a warrior mindset says, I am not going to let anything remove me from what God has called me to do. I am going to embrace it completely. And maybe you have to reprioritize how you look at your faith walk. If your excuse is, well, I just don't have time to pray. Where are your priorities? I'm calling you out. I'm being blunt. Where are your priorities? If your excuse is, well, I just, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to spend with the Lord. You've proven your priorities by your own words. I'm not saying your schedule doesn't get busy. I'm not saying that you have the time to spend four hours in the secret place with the Lord every single morning. But your excuse keeps you from the battle. You're walking the other way. It's every excuse in the book to not walk towards the fight. 
Instead, what you should be saying is, Lord, help me figure out how to do this. Help me reprioritize. Lord, transform my heart to prioritize you above all things. Because a true warrior, a conqueror, is single-minded in overcoming. No matter what enemy comes forward, I am going to crush them, is the mindset of the conqueror. It's the smile when the fight begins. <laughs> Game on. Here we go. It's that, that such self-assurance because you've disciplined, practiced, and battled to the point where no enemy scares you because you're there and you're ready. And the first step to never getting there is to have bad priorities in your spiritual walk. Being a warrior means having the right priorities. And if you've chosen Christ, you are conscripted into the army of God. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, your works are hay, stubble, and wood. They will burn up. You'll get by by the skin of your teeth. But you will look around and you will see these warriors who have crowns upon crowns, glories upon glories for what they've done for their king. And you will have an eternity to look at that and say, man, I could have done more. Woe is the man, and this is my own words, woe is the man who stands before Christ realizing how much he didn't do because of fear, because of embarrassment, because of laziness, because of wrong priorities, because of I'll just get by. Go for his glory. Go to the front line for his glory. And if you don't know how to fight, it's time to learn. And we want to provide you those tools, those resources, these, these Monday podcasts are really geared towards here's the tools on how you fight a spiritual war. The prayer, the fasting, the worship, the focus on the Lord, the right heart position, all of that stuff is so useful. So I hope this helps somebody. And the thing is, there will be people that they're like, soomp. No offense, I'm not talking to you because your ears are closed. I'm talking to the ones who are like, ooh, yeah, no, you're right. You're the ones I'm talking to because you're the ones that are getting called out to step forward. Oh, Mike, you're perfect. You think you're perfect. No, no, no. I have a long way to go. I'm convicted by this, and it's something I continue to work on with the Lord, and I'm speaking out to others saying, you need to work on it too. Let's work together. Let's grow in this. I want an indestructible army of God's children on this earth. I am so tired of the passive, fearful, just want to get to heaven mindset. Man, I want to come in knowing that I did my all with my sword, that I'm carrying scars for his glory. And that's a fearful thing. It is. I say it, it's like, man, can to get tested. So I've got to run forward. And I'm asking who's going to run with me? Who's going to set down the things of this world and pick up the disciplines of being a warrior for Christ, knowing you are a conqueror? 
and living that out. So, guys, we love you. Massey will be back on Friday. And know, if you need prayer, if you need support, if you need discipleship, we're here. If you need answers through the apologetics, we're here. If you want more information on founding of America, historical references, we're here. But we're here to minister to you. And so, we will see you on Friday, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to go to theselfevidenttruth.com. Check out our year-end newsletter. Give to Self Evident as a year-end gift. All right. For half of Anonymous Duo, I'm Mike. For Massey, who's in absentia, I'm Mike. <laughs> I hope you guys have a great week. Love y'all.